Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. Hi, Squirrel. So last time we were talking about becoming Mr. Why. We had this great uh, client of mine who really wanted to ask why, but couldn't quite get himself to ask it. And we were encouraging our listeners to ask why. And later you were telling me about some really interesting examples where really recently in, in difficult situations you had asked why. And I thought we might talk about those two examples because they seemed uh, really relevant to what, what comes after why. After you've asked why, like we're saying we should, <laughs> what's, what's going to happen? Good things, bad things? What happened? Yeah, ho hopefully these stories show people the uh, opportunities that you get from asking why. And, and I think also what's nice about them is because they are with people um, outside of our company, they also address a question that people often ask me, which is, do these techniques only work with other people who've been studying them? You know, is it is this something that works great? I mean, if your if your team or your company have all all agreed this is how we're going to work, um, but what if people don't? Then then what happens? And these are both examples of people who knew nothing about these techniques. Absolutely, and the nice thing about the company you work in is that you've really got it to the point where there are little laminated cards on the desks for some of the things <laughs> that that we encourage people to do. But your your clients aren't like that. Your your outside vendors and so on are not like that. So uh, how do you how do you get to that point? Uh, with them, how do you use those techniques, and how, what happens? So, so uh, tell us about these examples. Even better, these is, uh, this is, has been a company-wide effort. So, this is not even um, all examples where I was involved. Um, and the the first one, Victor, uh, the story was we had a client who recently told us that um, they regrettably, you know, were going to stop using uh, our product, and uh, we'd been really surprised by that. They'd been a, a long-time client, so we we were we were were kind of actually shocked. But we, we followed the principles here. This is why I'm really proud to say, which was why I was sharing the story with you is uh, not myself, but another member of the executive team went and met with them and asked them this question. Well, why why is this? Or, you know, We'd like to understand. And, and I think before you tell the rest of it, I'll just note that because I, I know the person who, who did it, I bet the way he did it was a very open and receptive and genuine way, which is the way we'd encourage people to do it. Not, why did you jerk stop uh, using our product all of a sudden? You know, you're going to put us out of business. That, that was that was not the approach I predict. No, absolutely not. No, it was it was, it was the idea of just we, we wanted to understand what was happening. We really didn't uh, expect anything more than, to, than the opportunity to learn. Uh, so when we asked the question, so why why is it that you're you know that you've decided to cancel? Why why have you not considered to continue using us even if you're not using our UI? But why not use us for distribution? And they said, oh well, you know we we didn't think you did that. <laughs> we we didn't think you did just pipes. And uh, we were happy to say, well, actually, yeah, we'll we'll definitely do that. We, you know, you have been using us for the full you know end to end solution, but we're happy to to be uh, just part of that. And uh, and they were excited about that. And just to give a little background on 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 Tim, the company that Jeffrey works with, it transmits data from one financial institution to another. We don't need to get into the details, but there's a beautiful UI, which I remember working on and, and hacking up, and it really wasn't beautiful in my day. I'm sure it is at Jeffrey's. <laughs> but there's a UI you can use to enter the data, but you can also enter it programmatically. And apparently these guys didn't know you could use the programmatic version. That's right. I think they just they, it was an example where they had just had one view of us from the way that they had always interacted with us and uh, weren't aware of the other options. And what I, what I found was really interesting about this is with a case where um, they thought they knew us better than they did. And, and so did we. We actually thought that they knew everything we had on offer. Um, so it was, a, it was a mutual surprise to us. And it was a, an example where if we 
um, hadn't had the curiosity to to learn more if we just sort of uh, you know been judgmental or angry or disappointed or whatever it was and assumed that well they know everything if we hadn't had this sort of let's let's go have the conversation just to understand we wouldn't have uncovered this this misunderstanding uh, really that existed and um, got a much better outcome Absolutely. And I could imagine other things you could assume as well. It might not be that you're judgmental or angry. You might just assume, oh, well, they've gone with a competitor who's less expensive or, oh, well, (laughs) they don't want to use this type of system anymore. So without going and asking, it would have been easy for you to come up with one of those coherent stories that we talk about and to to believe it and then to go on and and act as if that were true and and never, as you say, uncover this option. Yeah, and I think that's that's a great point. And in fact, we did have a coherent story that we'd come to about what they had done and why they had done it, what their intentions were, uh, how it was inevitable, and we should just resign ourselves to that. That was, you know, this was always going to be the case. And it was, we had a very, you know, coherent story put together uh, that you know we had some attachment to, um, and then we were able to let go of our of our conviction of that story and say, well, let's go actually find out. And it's that it's that uh, second step. It's the you know letting go of the coherent story we'd come to. Uh, that was the part um, that gave us this opportunity. And, and this was why I, I mentioned it to you uh, outside the context of the podcast, just because I was very uh, pleased that uh, we had we had done this and had uh, had such a, a good result. Absolutely. Sounds fantastic. And uh, one of the things for listeners to notice, and I know we've said this before, but some may not have heard us say it, the danger signal is when you think you have a coherent story. It's exactly when you're really sure that you should immediately start thinking about what other stories there could be and go ask somebody why. Because that's when the part of your brain that goes off and does uh, believes what it sees is all there is, is, is operating. So uh, see earlier podcast uh, episodes. We'll all link to one of them in the show notes um, uh, to, to hear more about that signal. That sounds like that signal was useful to you because it triggered you to go ask. And now you have a client that you otherwise wouldn't. That's right. As you're pointing out there, the, the uh, danger signals that we, we uh, talked about before from uh, Kahneman and thinking fast and slow. It really is uh, that sort of this automatic uh, feeling that we have about uh, coming up with a, with a story and then assuming that, that that's all there is. This is definitely a case where that uh, came in handy for us. And the idea of breaking the coherent story that we, that we had that really paid dividends. It's uh, an example where we didn't necessarily have a, a, a bad view. It was no, it was no we kind of were, were over generous in our assumptions about what the client knew about us. We thought that they knew us much better than they really did. And that and that was really the surprise for us. Makes sense. Well, and you also told me another story. This was kind of cornucopia of, of great why stories that you were telling <laughs> me earlier. And I said, we got to make a podcast about this. So, so tell us the other story. Right. Uh, so uh, this one, this is one where I'm uh, more directly involved, uh, was dealing with a client who um, I also knew was um, was angry. So it was one of those, it was one of those times we talked about, sometimes we know you're going to be facing a difficult conversation and you just, you can just feel it in the pit of your stomach and you, you know that uh, what you're going to be facing is going to be unpleasant. And so the, the advantage is you really have a chance to prepare. I know a couple of episodes ago, we talked about the four R's of uh, learning from experience. Um, one of the things we didn't mention there is that you can, you can use the four R's in advance <laughs> where you're, you, you, you can say, this is a conversation I'm expecting to be difficult, uh, and then kind of apply the, apply the same techniques. In the case of recording, though, you're not recording what actually happened, but rather recording your, your fears of what might happen. So uh, this is a case where I had a bit of time to prepare, and I knew that what I wanted to do was to, um, to be curious and to be, to, to be listening, to use what David Burns calls the five secrets of communication. 
and the first of those is, is uh, empathetic uh, listening, really listening to what the person had to say. Mm. And how did that work out for you? So I, I gather the you did do you ask something like why are you angry or something like that? How did you get to the the why? Well, it's sort of like hearing the person uh, tell the story, but then the kind of the, the the sort of technique that comes in is what uh, David Burns would call the disarming technique, uh, which is when someone is um, attacking you, then you uh, l listen and find the truth in what they're saying. Um, because the, the chances are the person is describing a real experience and it's important to actually understand that. And I think that's that's the key point is to is to really understand it from the other poison person's point of view. And and not just passively understand it, not just listen close and understand it, but be able to to say it back to them. Um, not long ago, I, I came across uh, a video by a guy named Chris Voss, who had been a negotiator for the FBI, and I'd watched this video. Um, he so, so he's negotiating with like people who have hostages or bombs strapped to their chests or something like yeah, that, right? So that, that's, he, that's he's exactly dealing it. with things that are prob probably a little harder than what you and I and our listeners <laughs> encounter. So that's right. Uh, if, if it works for him, it'll probably work for us. So, so what what did he uh, suggest? Um, he wrote a book by the called Never Split the Difference. I haven't read that, uh, but I had heard about it. It's on my it's on my backlog. But in this video, he was describing that they were going to have a call with a, a terrorist who had a hostage. And what he said is, we're going to go for a, a you're right, or that's right, rather. You're going to go for a that's right. So this is a, this is a moment he described where you would you would play back to the person their worldview and say, look, I, I think I understand what you're saying. And, and, and then you say it in such a way that they feel completely heard. And then they just say, that's right. Hmm. And is that what happened with this this client? He he didn't have anything strapped to his chest. I hope he <laughs> no, no, wasn't that right. angry. No, no, no nothing, okay, nothing like that. No, 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 no threats of violence uh, involved. But what what we did have then is something that I hadn't really uh, counted on at all. But I found very interesting is after the, he said what he was upset about, and I said, "Well, I think you're right, and here's why." And I explained it back, and he felt hurt. And then he kind of paused and he said, "Well, if that's the case, then." Why are you doing this? <laughs> why, if you if you if you can understand why I'm upset about this policy you have, why do you do it? And and then a, a, a remarkable thing happened, which is as I explained, you know, our our reasoning. He, the, he listened to the answer. He he actually listened, and and was able to say, oh, okay, oh no, I get it. That makes sense. And it was perhaps the best experience I've ever had of the, the principle from Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, which is seek first to understand, then to be understood, and how that moment of the, of the other person feeling understood just opens them up to actually, now that, now that there's no more reason to argue uh, their point, they can actually listen and hear what you're saying. And then it was something they were actually open to hearing. Um, whereas I'm, I'm fairly confident that if early on, if the person had been explaining what it is that they thought we were doing right, and I had defended in that moment and said, well, look, what you don't understand is this and explained our point of view. So saying, essentially making the same, trying to make the same point, but at a different point in time before they felt understood, then I don't think they would have been open to what we had to say. They, they just would have felt misunderstood and they would have left probably angrier than, uh, than they'd come in. Those tricks, they never listen to me. They just tell me whatever they think, and they're wrong, and and off we go. And con continuing the, the cycle of um, being angry and a angrier and angrier. That's right. And so this just taking the time to really uh, to really listen and to 
listen in detail and and not just in, in detail to the facts, but also the emotions behind it and to, to listen to the worldview of the other person and be able to then demonstrate that you actually do understand it from their point of view um, was, was incredibly powerful. And uh, it's something that I've often advocated for people. And it was nice to have this, this very uh, compact example in just a sort of a single few minutes of exchange, um, what a difference it could make. That sounds fantastic. I just want to underline it and make sure I fully understood it because long-time listeners will know something I often say is uh, um, just remove the word convince from your vocabulary. You know, often I'll have people <laughs> come to me for coaching and they'll say, Squirrel, I just need to convince this person. He's really angry at me, but if I can just convince him, if I can just tell him about how important it is that we write tests or something, like that, I'm sure it'll be okay. Can you help me with some methods for that? And my answer is usually, well, the first thing to do is to stop trying to convince him. Um, and what, I, what I'm wondering is, did you change what you said to him in any way? If, if, for instance, if I had said, Jeffrey, just go in and explain it to him, would you have explained the policy the same way? Or did you change how you explained the policy because you'd heard his explanation? You know, it's a, it's a really good question. And I don't believe I, I changed the explanation uh, in any way. I think it was the same it was the same explanation. I think what is different is um, one thing I was able to do in the framing. It's, and I think you, you make a good point here about not trying to convince. Is I I wasn't really trying to convince him. I genuinely wasn't. I but I, what I was doing is explaining why we were doing what we were doing. It's a different point of view. It's a different frame to take to it. That that's right. So it wasn't it wasn't a competition. It wasn't like you had to believe one thing or the other. And I was very like you know I can understand that maybe this won't be satisfying you. You may not agree. But this is the reasons that we had in mind when we made these decisions. And in that sense, it was really a, a, a good mutual learning conversation, which is we, we, we could have both left absolutely convinced that we were right with separate positions. But the difference was is there was an opportunity here for each person to actually hear the other. And so we minimally, we could each learn what the other person believed and why they believed it. And it, it didn't need to be um, personal and it didn't need to be that one of us were wrong. Well, I, actually, I take I take exception to that. I think it was exceptionally personal because he was expressing his anger, which is a very useful emotional signal. Signal, and you were explaining your own reasoning. That's that's very personal, I think. Uh, so, uh, what what it wasn't was insulting to the other person or unconstructive. Okay, I think that's a good point. I guess what I mean is it didn't need to be a personal loss. I think maybe it's, yes. it's, it's mm-hmm. a better way of phrasing it. It wasn't like one of us was going to dominate the other person <laughs> and 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 get our way. It was more a case of sharing the different points of view, and we didn't need to choose a winner. Mm-hmm. And, and I just I jump on that, and I'm sorry, Jeffrey, I gave you a hard time there, but um, the the reason I, I leap on that is because I often hear people say, "Ah, oh, now I get it, Squirrel. You're telling me to do what to do is to re- take all the emotion out of it and be really rational and sound, you know, very very calm." And uh, uh, yes. doesn't doesn't sound <laughs> like he he was all that calm to start with. He said, "You have the stupid policy. Why the heck do you have it?" Is, is was probably uh, how he was speaking, and it sounded like you replied by saying probably more calmly, but still with some emotion, well, we actually had some good reasons for it. Here's how, how we came to that conclusion that this policy would be useful. And then he said, oh, well, now that I listened to it, that's actually not a stupid policy. I would add in actually what happens when you said you have the stupid po- policy, when in fact what I said was, you're right, it is stupid. I can see why you would say that. Yeah, the disarming <laughs> technique is really helpful. Yeah. That, that's right. Because what, what it was important was to explain that I understood the value of what he was saying. And I, I think it's important to say that this was genuine. It wasn't an act. It, w- it wasn't a case where it's like somehow 
you know, warp reality. And, and, uh, and it was certainly was not a case of lying and it wasn't for the purpose of convincing him. It, uh, it was for the purpose of, of convincing him that he was understood, but to do that, I, I was doing it by actually trying to understand him and understand the world where in fact, what we were doing, it certainly did seem stupid. I could, I could say, I can certainly see why that, that's a perfectly reasonable point of view and here's why. And then what happened is having said that I, I didn't offer an explanation then he actually asked and said, well, okay. If you agree with me, why do you have it? Yeah, why Why did it? So there was, and it was, it was, it was that invitation. I wasn't pushing my view on him. It was when he was actually ready for it, he asked. And it was that asking that was the, was the, to me, was the really aha moment. I couldn't have acted for anything better because I really wasn't there to try to con- convince. Um, but it, the opening came because uh, he felt so understood. And let me just try to model a couple that that might be relevant directly to our uh, our listeners. So it, it might be that you could imagine somebody responding something like this. Well, if you agree with me that we're really under pressure, why on earth do you want me to come to these demos every week? Or um, if you agree that uh, we, we need as much development capacity and we need to get this product ready as fast as we possibly can, why on earth are you wasting time pairing? Those might be responses that would be similar to his, if I'm understanding you right, which our, our listeners might find in cases where they're using the disarming technique to say, yeah, you're right. I, I, I agree we're under a lot of pressure. I agree we need to go quickly. I agree that we uh, haven't delivered very well in the past. Um, and I've certainly heard those kinds of conversations over and over again and have used the disarming technique, probably not as well as you, but uh, have used it to, to get to a better outcome like that. Yeah, that's right. And then and then it, to follow that through, uh, the answer is, well, I do think uh, that we're under a lot of pressure. And um, actually, that's the reasons when I suggest pairing. I, and I, I could be wrong with this, but my experience has been that pairing helps me go faster. And, and that's actually why I've been advocating for it was because I, I see the, the same concerns you are. It just my, This has been my experience, and that's why I prefer that we pair because I think we'll, we'll be done sooner. Now, that I may turn out to be wrong. <laughs> and so that's the kind of um, delivery that's possible. And I think you're you're right to say this is personal. This I'm saying this is my point of view. I'm not saying that it's the abstractly, you know, provably right thing in the world. Mm-hmm. And that's a very great danger for for those of us who are software developers. Because there are provably right things about how computers work and how maths works and so on, but that's not usually terribly relevant. So it's more useful to... Uh, um, accept that the other person may have a valid point of view and probably does, which is what the disarming technique helps you do. Yes. And I think this is maybe the the hardest part people struggle with is because I know when we've explained this kind of uh, asking why to people before, uh, often the the answer comes back to people say, well, that all sounds great, but what if the other person's wrong? (laughs) And that's, and they, and they, and it's like, well, you're back to playing the game of, of who's right rather than trying to actually understand the other person. If you you have to understand the world in which they're they're right, <laughs> that's that's your challenge to understand the worldview where they're right, and then you can worry about sharing the worldview where you're right, and maybe finding something that you can both live with. That, that's right. It's not it's not your job to to decide between the two who's right. Very often, if you can just uh, uh, understand both worlds and you mutually understand both worlds, then often the 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 way forward becomes obvious. Um, and not a, not a power struggle.
Excellent. Well, some of our listeners may have gone off and tried asking why, because we told you to pretty strongly last week. And I'd be curious to know, and I'm sure Jeffrey would too, what, what came after your why. And if you are if you haven't tried that, why don't you try it this week and let us know what comes after you ask why. Does it work? Does it not? Where do you get stuck? Do you get more information? Do you get thrown out? What, what happens? We'd be interested to know. The uh, way to get in touch with us, of course, is on troubleshootingagile.com, where you'll find Twitter and email and other fun things. I should mention, by the way, that the video of our talk at Skills Matter here in London is up and uh, ready for viewing. We'll include that in the show notes. Uh, there's some explication much longer than we can fit in this podcast and examples and so on of some of the techniques that we've talked about for uh, improved agile development and uh, getting change to happen in your organization. Great. Well, until next week, Jeffrey, uh, thanks very much, and uh, see you next week. All right. Thanks, Squirrel.